Did you know that a Formula 1 driver loses almost 4 kilograms after every single race? Welcome to another episode of Writer and Geek Show. We are your hosts Vishnu and Shankar. This episode is a very special episode since we on June 1st completed one year of our existence as Writer and Geek Show. So, this is a milestone episode for us. Yeah, um our first episode, episode number 1, uh, was released on June 1st. Although we had an episode before that introducing ourselves released on 27th of May. I think just because it was my birthday, but oh. um that doesn't count. It was episode 0. So, we'll start from episode number 1 which was released on June 1st. Well, a belated happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. Uh so, uh, <clears throat> it's been quite a journey like when we started out I never imagined that we would be sitting here right now thinking, you know, talking about how we have completed one year. To be frank, I never expected it to last more than maybe a couple of months. Um that is the time that I had given to given to ourselves uh, where we'll one day just hang up the boots saying that, you know what, we are done with this. This doesn't seem like the thing that we want to do. Actually, I thought like we wouldn't even have a conversation about ending it. You know, we'd just end it <laughs> without even talking about it. Like many of the us. blogs that we have started in the past and yeah, ended it somewhere. Kind of, we have started a lot of projects, projects in codes, yeah, and uh, <laughs> the thing is, we don't even like talk to each other about it probably after like three months. But this has been something which we have enjoyed, and I, I don't know, something made us stick to it. Then yeah. right here we are as yeah 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 as with everything uh, when we started it was there was nobody who was listening to us i think very few people knew about it and some of them care, didn't even care about listening to it some of them being very people who claim to be very close to us and close friends <laughs> they still don't listen but um now we are uh, happy to say that you know uh, we have listeners from six continents in the world one continent being antarctica i don't know if anyone listens to podcast there but if yes then we are coming to you as well <laughs> six continents that's yep. an achievement we have listeners from africa can yeah, you imagine yeah 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 uh, i mean there are some countries where even hawaii is uh, hawaii has some of the downloads see uh, the funny thing is i noticed that and uh, i went and checked like which episode they would have listened to so what i've realized is that they were listening to the episode uh, where we talked about world war looks like that's an interesting topic <laughs> for everyone <clears throat> and other thing is that uh, i don't consider downloads to be the metrics that we should be tracking i consider when people come come back and say that you know they have learned something and uh, they give some sort of feedback which i've received over the time um you know it feels nice to know that you know we are we are providing some kind of value to them uh, some people say that monday mornings because we are releasing on sunday monday morning uh, metro journey or journey towards their office uh, is used for listening uh, listening to our stuff and sometimes they say that oh you know what we never knew that there was such a history behind this thing and all that and that makes me feel good about us doing this right we uh, didn't necessarily start it as a uh, you know way to make a lot of money and stuff this this is just an extension of our conversation which we used to have as we have told many times before yeah so some of my, some of my friends who have recently seen that our uh, podcast has gained some traction they have actually called out to me and asked me for the link and all that so what they have realized is that there are like lot of variations like variety of stuff we talk about and some people like some of the stuff others like the other kind of stuff so uh, some of them stick to it just because we talk about diverse uh, topics and uh, it's actually great to know that they get to learn something new because of what our bedroom conversations yeah in this day and age uh, everybody is busy uh, you know we all have little short at- attention span and all that stuff and it's not easy to consume a lot of content and podcast being, being one of the most easiest way to co- consume content just listening to it while doing whatever you want it's easy for uh, you know the listeners to grab ideas about everything that we talk about and we don't just stick to one topic so yeah i have got the same feedback as well and uh, i would also like to thank everybody who has been supporting us in the past one year uh, by listening by giving you know very 
constructive feedback and yeah and even to those who don't listen to us regularly but uh, you know they have appreciated us so that's a, that's a good thing and after listening to this episode if you are still not listening then then we are going to find you <laughs> and yeah. you can't lie to us that you have listened okay? yeah yeah that's the thing that's that's one thing we want to you know like put it out there <laughs> saying that you know uh, when we sh- we we don't share links to anyone no. not really yeah so if you come to us and say that hey i've been listening to it constantly we get to know if you do or not so please don't lie <laughs> <laughs> all right so yeah that's pretty much about uh, completing one year it's a, it's a great uh, uh, it's been a great journey and we hope to continue this for a foreseeable yeah. future as well so thank you thanks to all of you who has been supporting us over the course of one year well that being said let's get into today's topic which is one of my most favorite sport the formula 1 I know many people argue that it's not a sport it's just entertainment and it doesn't make any sense seeing the cl- cars going around in circles but there are a lot of things behind the scenes which would and hopefully this episode would make you appreciate the sport even more if you already like it Yeah uh, so like when did you start watching it is it the same time when I did So the first season I remember um, following was uh, 2003 season I suppose and that was the time around when we had got a computer and we got this 2002 Formula 1 game right which yeah. I'm sure that you remember Yeah it's what oh it used to be one of my favorite games and uh, talking about games you know there are like some sports games which have in- influenced me to like be a fan of the game uh, like FIFA 2002 is a is the game which introduced me to football the world of football and uh, now i follow it like every every week yeah a premier league i follow it every week and the same way f- uh, the f1 2002 game introduced us to the sport of f- uh, f1 and uh, i remember watching the first season i th- was it 2003 or 4 it was 2003 because um as in many cases one of my major influences when i was in school was my friend anthony and i have spoken about him multiple times in this uh, show he used to be a big fan of kimi raikkonen and that's how i got to know that there is such a sport and there are all these drivers who are competing for uh, uh, you know championship title and stuff like that and you remember the posh uh, posh unleashed Um, what was that nfs5 that game which he gave me and uh, one of the crack files crack files in the sense there was a profile which was completed where you could drive all the cars it was called hackinen and uh, mika hackinen yeah so it stood for mika hackinen so we got into a conversation one day about this and that's when he told me that you know these are all f1 drivers and there's a sport i knew about the sports and i have seen formula 1 cars much before that when i was young when we were in delhi and all that but i've never been an active follower and and i started following since the 2003 uh, season when i think michael schumacher was winning the race back to back and yeah. kimi raikkonen was also in uh, you know um, limelight yeah we had vhs tapes uh, which had f1 footages so even i remember well i was in delhi i was very young probably like 3 years old i remember watching some of the scenes and but the thing is the real uh, like we actually got into fifa during the 2003 uh, season and as said like anthony i i still am a huge fan of kimi raikkonen the iceman is my favorite and one reason why uh, i like him is because the car he had during that 2003 season McLaren. that's that's still my favorite car McLaren had a uh, silver and uh, black black color and yeah. all that and which with his name written yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah that's that's where we started uh, watching formula 1 and ever since i think you kind of are an on off kind of a person you don't actively fo- follow it but i um followed it after my college days to be more precise during college days there were many other things that took my time and you don't have uh, access to tv and stuff So after that I started following once I came back to Bangalore since uh, 2009 season when Jensen Button became the champion uh, in a new team Braun GP ever since I've been following and then was Sebastian Vettel's time and all that stuff so uh, we'll get into all that but before that uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the history and the science and all the interesting th- stuff behind formula 1 which i hope uh, if you're not a fan will probably make you a little bit interested in the sport yeah let's let's dig into it So um without doubt formula 1 is the highest class of racing uh, in the world 
especially when it comes to car racing right and it's sanctioned by a body called FIA so FIA stands for Federation International Day Automobile uh, which is a, a body which governs the rules for formula 1 and other races so the n- name formula 1 came because um, there was a set of rules or formula as they were called which was followed by all the teams and all the drivers so that is why it's called formula 1 and 1 because this is the highest class of race uh the inaugural season was in the year 1950 um and every season consists of races called grand prix so grand prix is french for grand prize french why everything is taken for french we'll come to that when we talk about the history because the races uh, which form the precursor to grand prix races formula 1 races started in france because of their extreme interest in automobiles Okay, okay, they even had the endurance races and all that. Is it yeah, Le Mans and yeah. all those kind of races are still happening in France. So France was one of the nations which had profound interest in uh, automobile racing. Well, the funny thing is, uh, the first time I heard, I mean, I read the word Grand Prix, I thought it's Grand Prix. I mean, and I used yeah. to say, Prix? What do you mean by Prix? It's, I think that's a common thing. Even I thought it was Grand Prix. <laughs> But it's Grand Prix... So um well we are admitting that we are uh, we used to be kind of fools <laughs> <laughs> who is to say that we are not yeah. still so yeah that's that's uh, what the, uh, that's what the origin of uh, the name formula 1 and where it started and all that stuff and it is one of the fastest kind of races when it comes to automobiles which are without any doubt because again of because of the hot, uh, aerodynamic design of the cars which lets it to corner at high speeds if you look at any other kind of racing like stock car racing or uh, rally racing and all that the cornering speeds are not as much as that would be in formula 1 cars which we'll talk more about when we come to the aerodynamic stuff about um, these cars there's a lot to talk about that um yeah so going back in history uh, before formula 1 races started there was something called grand prix motor racing which were conducted in france and it started in the year 1894 Wow which is which is considered to be ancient times in Are you serious okay i didn't know that it had <laughs> such a you know large history because uh, i thought f1 had its origin in 1950 1950 is when the first official formula 1 race uh, was conducted but um, as with everything it uh, automobile racing also had a history and the precursor which formed this which which led to the formation of FIA and subsequently the formation of formula 1 races started in 1894 in the form of grand prix motor racing which did not have specific race designed cars like we have today formula 1 races racing cars are not used on roads those days the racing cars and the road cars were basically the same thing yeah. right so you could probably run and overtake it <laughs> yeah the only difference uh, was a lunatic driver who was ri- driving in because normal people don't go for racing okay. and um, were conducted from one town to the next town and they were not on closed circuit it was on the main roads like the two roads connecting two cities and all that and so it was c- legal of course you can imagine the kind of fatalities and uh, security issues that the safety wow. issues that prevailed uh, you know during those times We- and these were kind of endurance races mostly i mean more than uh, trying to compete for position it was about the time taken to travel between two cities and making sure that your car reaches in one piece reliability was not a, a stronghold of the cars which were constructed which were constructed probably like 120 years back yeah because uh, you had to like first uh, pull some wires and you know start it like a generator and then yeah there were levers problem, and stuff yeah. to turn it was yeah. not an ignition key like what we have today see the funny thing is uh, i remember while in school we had this session about road safety and all that like some police officers and all of them they came and gave us some talks about it so we had to learn a little bit of history about uh, how uh, about road safety and you know general things about it so uh, i think i'm not sure about the date the first fatality which happened because of a road accident was in 1894 or something i'm not really sure but it's close to that and so it probably could, it, it could have been one of these races as well yeah we that's know. what i'm wondering i'm not sure but this thought is what came into my mind when you told about the lunatic drivers who used to drive <laughs> those cars so as i said uh, these races were conducted in france because french had a special interest towards uh, automobile racing and the first racing took um and the first racing took place on 22nd of July 1894 and was organized by um a newspaper called Le Petit Journal between the city of Paris and Rouen 
it was a distance of 126 kilometers um, okay yeah so the first race was won by count jules albert de dion who won the race can you guess in how many hours 128 126 kilometers i'll assume that it goes at around probably 20 kilometers <laughs> per yeah, hour yeah it took him 6 hours and 48 minutes at uh, an almost av- right average speed of 19 kilometers per oh, hour oh yes <laughs> just missed by one and the the uh, the interesting thing is that um, the person who came second was just 3 minutes and 30 seconds behind so it was actually a close race if yes. you look at it it was a close race for that time yeah not like the 0.5 seconds yeah. difference which we have right to these days later um, james goddard bennett junior who was a owner of new york new york herald started a racing club called gordon bennett cup which was an international event and those days it was not individual drivers or the constructors as constructors in the sense manufacturers as we have today it was countries competing against each other yeah well, probably we should explain a little bit about how the point system and uh, all yeah, these things uh, work yeah we'll come to the point okay. system in detail uh, once we discuss the history of uh, formula 1 and okay, we'll cool. come to how and how the formula 1 seasons and the weekend goes by how the points are decided and how the qualifying and all those things are done and how the manufacturers enter their cars and stuff like that so we'll come to that um so each country entered up to 3 cars um and had those cars had to be indigenously developed by each of these country i mean uh, if it is Italy who is participating you need to have cars which were prepared completely which were built in Italy if it is um, England then it had to be a car which was built in the UK and all that stuff and this also led to each countries having their own racing colors uh, for example Italy had red and England had uh, green Germany had something like a uh, something like white but um, later in the later years uh, almost during the war time there were strict regulations on the weight of the car uh, so one of the for one of the races germans did not paint their car just to keep their weight under the regulation and that is when um, the bare metal started uh, uh, you know the bare metal which was silver in color gave that uh, metallic shine to the car and since then they started using silver as their color and that's why even today the mercedes cars are called silver arrows thank you <laughs> thank you for kimi's car <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a, no, that's, a that's McLaren. It's not. Uh, yeah, it was Mercedes. Yes, yeah. it was McLaren and Mercedes. That, that's a that's a new information. Okay, I didn't know about that. Yeah, that's the reason German car German companies had the silver cars uh, wow. early in the days, and that kind of trickled down. And even today, they prefer to have a silver color, which is still prevalent in the Mercedes uh, cars, which Hamilton and uh, Bottas drive. and as a result of lot of these fatalities which happened during these races which were on um, main highways and the roads connecting these towns first closed circuit race was used in ireland in a place called athy in 1903 which was con- which is considered to be the first closed circuit race of any kind okay so uh, it took them almost like 9 uh, years to realize what kind of stupidity they are doing well uh, at least they figured it out better late than never yeah and uh, moving on in 1906 automobile club of france organized regular races which were called grand prix races so that is where this origin of the ra- name um, grand prix started and um, which could be a primitive kind of formula 1 races but still there was a long time before formula 1 races came into existence um, the circuit used for this was roughly triangular in shape it was situated in lemon where lemon races are held lemon is a endurance races which is cons- uh, which goes on for 24 hours from start to finish uh, three drivers compete uh, from a team uh, we can uh, so it's mostly an endurance race the you just have to uh, from start to finish you have to complete the 24 hours and any car which completes more number of laps wins the races though that's what lemon races and these initial races in uh, early years were constructed in lemon and one lap distance was 105 kilometers one lap yeah distance. so a total of six, six laps were required to be covered in a day uh, with a lap taking almost an hour so it was a 6 hour race these days one hour, one lap is almost like 5 to 6 kilometers max yeah and it takes around uh, 
a minute and 20 seconds to complete Probably, a lap, yes. lap or something depending on where you are yeah yeah as i said the, these uh, circuit close circuit laps were the result of all the mishaps that happened in the previous races uh, and races were uh, mostly nationalistic uh, cars had very low power of 50 hp Uh, but they had big 10 to 15 liter engines um and the crew it was not a single driver as we have now uh, there was a driver and a mechanic and in case of any malfunctioning or breakdown these two had to fix the car and uh, bring it back to back on road and no one else could help them so that's oh, wow. why you had a mechanic always with you these grand prix races were dominated by renault major reasons for that was they had this detachable wheels you could remove the rims uh, along with the tire and just put a new rim and tire uh, which was invented by michelin uh, tires that time so that gave them a very big competitive advantage over other cars where you had to change the tire and tube and all that stuff so it was a big time saver is michelin still in use michelin tires were used in formula 1 till 2011 when pirelli yeah. took over and there was there there came a rule recently saying that uh, there should be only one tire uh, supplier for every formula 1 race yeah, so even bridgestone does not exist in no, f1 it, they do exist but they don't supply tires to f1 uh, no no companies. i mean in f1 yeah, yeah. just before um, pirelli i think it was bridgestone which was supplying till 2011 not uh, michelin uh michelin and bridgestone used to sub, uh, supply uh, tires to different uh, car manufacturers in the early days like in 2000s early 2000s yeah, because when i started watching f1 it was michelin and bridgestone and uh, one race i don't know something some issue was there with michelin tires and yeah all uh, the ca- car manufacturers which were using michelin quit the race and yeah. the only six cars You yeah know. and narayan kartikeyan was one of them but i we expected him to be at the podium but he did <laughs> it was didn't he a, get no no, no he was fourth he was he became fourth, fourth. Yeah. oh man i think it was <laughs> hrt or something which was jordan, uh, jordan, jordan yeah so never has the indian uh, anthem been played at the uh, formula 1 final ever do we still have a chance <laughs> i mean i'm i don't know if i can get into formula 1 if yes yes yeah. anyway <laughs> so these were all pre world war 2 days where and especially during world war we know that there was a rapid uh, growth in industrialization and uh, car manufacturing went to a different level altogether and in fact development of these racing cars uh, were a good thing for automobiles for uh, commercial use as well because any everything that was invented in the racing cars were came in, you know in into normal uh, usage in uh, normal road cars as well so in that sense racing has always helped us to progress in a way um initial days you won't believe this so we have this grid positions right like someone has to be in the front and uh, someone has to be in the second position third and all that these days we always have a qualifying session which we'll uh, explain in detail in some time uh, where each cars do a lap and whoever has the le- whoever takes the least time to complete a lap gets the first position and all that right earlier there was no such qualifying um the po- relative position was decided by lot what so you <laughs> yeah you just put a lot and the lucky guy gets to start from <laughs> that, the beginning that's so messed up you know <laughs> so it doesn't matter like if your car is the best or if your car is the worst it all depends on your luck of course um and uh, moving on to the late 1930s um the racing dynamics had changed a lot there was no longer a mechanic along with the um driver cars had become become single seaters with around 600 hp of power with 8 to 16 cylinders back in 1930s yes 600 hp yep i thought those kind of cars existed in 1970s or 80s Man. i didn't know that they started using it in back in 1930s uh, yeah well automobile industry grew uh, leaps and bounds and there were some cases where people have used airplane engines and in uh, cars as well even rocket engines yeah, we'll have to ask uh, our dear richard hammond about it <laughs> poor thing yeah, yeah. so um, do almost during the war time in late 1930s uh, Mercedes and Auto Union which was another company auto company from Germany were the ones which dominated the auto motorsport of course we know why uh, because they were all ruled by Nazis and they didn't want to come second in anything so uh, they had immense pressure to uh, perform the best in any kind of auto event to just to keep the their uh, uh, glory also like as you mentioned these companies they were into manufacturing aeroplanes yep 
and they just used the same kind of principles and put it in the cars i of course the fun fact yeah. uh, the logos of mercedes and bmw and probably many other uh, yeah. car, car companies are actually propellers yeah, of yeah, planes yeah. so since they were initially uh, aircraft manufacturers later when they moved into car manufacturing i mean parallelly they also did car manufacturing uh, so some of the technology was a crossover right so they could apply some principle in fact the modern formula 1 car uses the same principle as a aeroplane but in inverse like it in reverse yeah the, the instead same, of the lift yeah the same thing the that lifts the plane force. up from the ground is the same thing that keeps a formula 1 car right. on the ground yes we, uh, that can be uh, attributed to the aerodynamic design of a car that's so cool and uh, during the war there were no races obviously because people were busy fighting and after the war is when formula 1 took shape in 1950 First championship was won by Italian Giuseppe Farina. He was driving an Alfa Romeo and he defeated uh, Juan Manuel Fangio who was the first person to have five world championships to his name. Hmm. And his record stood for 45 years before Michael Schumacher came, came and broke it in 2003. Wow. See, I uh, one thing uh, when we talk about the first uh, Grand Prix, first championship, it's that the uh, mention of the car Alfa Romeo. because uh, when i did some research in the early years uh, alfa romeo do- dominated the f1 uh, championships but i think it was in the 60s or 70s they just vanished they are no, uh, no longer there right yeah alfa romeo i think these days they are mostly into um, making road legal cars uh, they are no longer in any of the sport but um, yeah they initially dominated that sport even in world rally championship as well but um, Uh, they just fell off the radar and ferrari and mclaren continue to dominate and yeah. if you look at it ferrari is a constructor which has won the most number of championships of course and we'll have to like thank michael schumacher for uh, a lot of it yes he uh, he was like i mean it i would say that it would have been very boring to watch formula 1 in early 2000s especially from 2000 2001 2003 and 4 because in every other race there was just one person who went to the podium and that was Michael Schumacher. Yeah, it was like uh, Michael Schumacher's podium, he wins the race and Rubens uh, Barrichello, he he just played the, you know, side second fiddle to Ooh, him. Yeah, that and <laughs> there has been to like stop Kimi from uh, getting second or something. There have been really <laughs> controversial situations as well. I still remember there was one race, I think it was in Indianapolis in US, uh, where Barrichello was leading the race and in the last lap he was given specific instruction to let Schumacher pass and it was very disheartening to watch as a formula 1 f- I was a fan of Schumacher yes but even then it was really really a bad move I, I could see that in the f- last straight last uh, corner to uh, you know the straight where the race ends before the checkered flag you could really see barrichello applying or maybe he just lifted off the throttle and schumacher just coming past him and winning the race i'm not sure how he would have celebrated that day because obviously in everybody's mind barrichello was the winner and and one other thing is like uh, it, i think it was a 2003 or 4 uh, season where in the final race if uh, kimi raikkonen comes first and if schumacher could not score any points Kimi would win the championship. So uh, throughout the race, uh, Barrichello was uh, in the first position, and somehow finally uh, he uh, Schumacher came in. Uh, he he finished in eighth position or something. Mm-hmm. So it was like a nail biting, uh, like cha- like Grand Prix, and I wanted Kimi to win, but it was so disheartening to see oh, yeah, well, him uh, lose. <laughs> Yeah, there were a lot of such instances in Formula One history, rivalries and stuff. One was uh, the the most important one, which would be etched in every every Formula One fan's mind, would be the one between Alain Prost and Ayrton Senna. I actually became Ayrton Senna's fan uh, many years into my Formula One because I, when I started watching, it was all about Schumacher and Raikkonen and. you know all the other guys but when i checked the history and when i started looking into the races which happened in the past i for once in uh, for all i became a fan of ayrton senna and i have been a fan of him ever since um uh, he he is one of the most greatest driver that i've ever seen he's he's fearless and he had a great technique i mean there are many people who have come and gone but 
he was a three times world champion there are people who have won more times than that even alain prost has won four times but for some reason he had this uh, you know larger than life kind of uh, image in every formula 1 fans mind yeah so that was the, the so yeah there are a lot of such instances and controversies which associated with this see uh, a person who loves formula 1 uh, and really knows about it would definitely be a fan of ayrton senna but uh, in a country like india most people don't know much about formula 1 it's probably after the circuit which was opened in delhi people got to know about such a thing uh, which is in existence and uh, because of the movie rush that's when people uh, started recognizing that there is uh, such a sport so i'm pretty sure like most of the people know about only like uh, james hunt and uh, nikki lauda <laughs> well uh, yeah that is one other rivalry which we we should mention uh, james hunt and nikki they were rivals in 70s and um, as you would have seen in the movie it was not so dram- dramatic and stuff but uh, nikki himself said that 80% of the movie is true so something interesting had happened that time yeah so formula 1 has a pretty beautiful and uh, you know dynamic past if you look into it if you would like go and research a little bit about old drivers and stuff like that little ugly too <laughs> at times yeah, as with everything else uh, so yeah that's what is uh, so we started in 1950 not we formula 1 started in 1950 uh, as an official race uh there were some economical dis- difficulties in 1952 and 53 so races were held using formula 2 cars not formula 1 cars oh. they were cheaper to run okay formula 1 is a very expensive sport in fact i was planning to say this in as a part of lot of interesting facts but let me put it here one single car costs around anywhere from 6 to 8 million dollars that is just the cost of the car and its components and uh, there's a lot of research that goes into it which cost each team at least not for the uh, you know teams which existed like minardi they used to spend a lot less um, the other teams like ferrari and mclaren and mercedes and all the top notch red bull and all those teams spend more than 100 million a year in research wow Because just for r&d yeah there is a lot of uh, change there are a lot of changes that happen uh, over the course of a season and every other season has different rules and new things like this 2018 season was very notable because of the introduction of something called a halo which is a, a construction around the cockpit to um, provide more safety to the pilot uh, as a result of one of the crashes which happened in 2014 i if i remember it, right i think it was 14 right where uh, jules bianchi uh, died during a crash in uh, japan japanese grand prix so this was introduced as a result of that so and that halo is such a thing where it can resist up to 7 tons of uh, force so it it really protects you protects the driver from any impact so these kind of changes come and go regularly in formula 1 so teams have to do a lot of r&d every uh, year they use a, v, a v6 engine now right oh yeah v6 engine so uh, i'll explain more about it when we come to the engine uh, part so let's talk a little bit about the routine routine in the sense what happens over a week and and uh, how formula 1 races and what are the rules and stuff like that uh, usually 12 teams compete with two drivers each that's why you have 24 cars um, it can be 22 cars or 20 cars also there have been races previously with less number of cars as well uh, a race weekend usually consists of uh, free practice qualifying session and a race and normally there are two weeks gap between two races in some cases it's just one week with a summer with a break in between sometime around uh, july to august where they go for one month vacation kind of a thing and there are in total like 21 22 grand prix uh yeah roughly should be because it starts in march australia. and uh, australia um, yeah it can start anywhere but yeah now it starts in australia and ends in uh, abu dhabi and ends in the month of november so march to november and december january and february is the time that um, the teams use for all their research and making the new cars and testing and all that stuff so we might feel they are not racing but it's a year long thing for the drivers and the teams it's a, it's a continuous full time job okay yeah let's get into the so as i said the race we can consist of free practice qualifying session and the race uh, to participate in the race a driver should complete at least one lap in the free practice session which usually happens on a friday with probably exception with the race in monte carlo monaco uh, the monaco grand prix the free practice happens on thursdays leaving friday free for the drivers and others to 
probably hang out in the casinos and chill oh, out because it's such a great place it's a place to meet celebrities serious? <laughs> they actually give them one day <laughs> of course i mean be a sport but so. some people live there right some of the drivers live yeah, there yeah some mo- many drivers live there uh, 2016 world champion nico rosberg was a resident of monaco though they are all from different uh, countries and i think there's a lot of tax benefit that's yeah. the reason uh, and it's a very uh, you know it's like a shrine of uh, formula 1 where which is considered to be one of the most difficult tracks as well it's like i think nelson pk which wa- who was one of the champions in 80s he mentioned that it was driving in uh, monaco was like riding a cycle through your living room it's like you know tight wow. and all that yeah <laughs> so yeah that's what it is so with the exception of monaco the free practice happens on fridays and the qualifying session is held on saturdays uh, and the session consists of uh, again three three parts which is q1 q2 and q3 respectively q1 is a, so uh, in a qualifying session you have a set time um something like 10 to uh, i think like minutes. yeah to, uh, 15 to 12 to 15 minutes where each car has to go out set a lap time um and whoever sets the uh, fastest time qualifies to the next level so after the first uh, session of q1 um if the number of cars uh, are 24 seven drivers are uh, let off so only the remaining participate in q2 so in q2 so the first uh, 17 will qualify yes, for yes. q2 so after q2 the next seven uh, go off the grid then only 10 drivers compete in q1 and what, whatever there is the standing in q1 is the sta- is the grid position so according to your race time is the grid position right so whoever wins the q3 gets the pole position so that's what pole position is all about the driver who has set the most fastest time in the in q3 gets the pole position pole right? position is like standing in uh, standing at the first place in the grid yes so many of us think that pole position means setting the fastest time but it has to be in q3 yeah. even if you set the fastest time in q1 if you don't if uh, even if you qualify into q2 someone else can still take it away from you so it's like that because it's all a new session uh, so the driver who gets the pole position starts from the position number 1 on the race day and there are and that can change also if you get some kind of penalty or uh you know some engine changes and all those things which can result in some grid places and stuff like that so unless all those things are involved your uh, qualifying times are used to decide where you are on the grid yeah so earlier uh, when we started watching f1 uh, there was no rules like you should uh, have only these many engines per season yeah i think uh, th- those days uh, especially in early 2090s and all i don't think there was any limit there could it, there could be but i don't remember uh, having any engine limits for the weekends but these days there are limits um starting in late 2000s there was a limit of around using eight engines per season or something like that now it has come down drastically and i heard from uh, 2018 season it is three engines per season so that means each engine has to go for more than one race and you might think that why is that a big deal car engines usually go for 10 and 20 and 30 years without any issues but when we talk about engines we'll come to understand um, you know why that's a big deal yeah this is the kind of sport where uh, you may have to change tires almost like three times during a race yeah uh, so once a qualifying qualification session is done the top 10 cars which uh, complete the q3 have to start using the same tires that they set the fastest lap time on that is the rule uh, um, presently all the others can change any to any tires and uh, if in case you cannot use the same tire you should use the same uh, compound tire like tires are also divided into different compounds like super soft hyper soft and all those stuff uh, which de- decides how much grip you have and how long the tire lasts also on the race day the cars are aligned on the grid according to the grid locations and the race usually happens around 2 pm local time if it is especially if it is in um, european countries that make sure that you know all sides of the world uh, get a good viewing time and it's not like midnight and early morning and stuff like that um, usually the race and the number of laps in any circuit is set that the total distance is not less than 3 not 5 kilometers except for monaco where it is 260 kilometers because it's a very tough track uh so and also the race time uh, race time cannot exceed more than 2 hours so in case it exceeds 2 hours the whatever the grid whatever the position the drivers are when the time crosses 2 hours will be considered to be the final position oh, okay i didn't yeah. know that 
So that's pretty much about how the race happens and all the conditions that has to be satisfied before they start the race, like qualifying and all that stuff. Uh, let's get into the construction of the car, which is a machine on its own. It You cannot actually call it a car. I would call it a reverse flying machine, actually. Uh, based on the construction, um, it, it's like a it's it's a machine, right? It's not just like any ordinary car. So the chassis of the car is made using carbon fiber and uh, all the other ultralight materials uh, because weight is one of the most important things that has to be considered when you make a car. The ma- minimum permissible weight of the car is 728 kilograms, which includes the weight of the driver, but not the fuel. So that means in each... Uh, in a race each car has its weight adjusted to suit the driver's weight so driver's weight also forms a crucial part of your race so you would probably want a a driver with who is like you know uh, lightweight yeah so that also adds into the uh, you know rule book rules where the car weight is designed Uh, early days sometimes just to get the car up to the weight um, which was which was described in the rules they used to add ballast some kind of weight to lower the center of gravity which kind of added the advantage for the cars as well and uh, prior to 2006 now coming back to your question earlier about the v6 and v8 engines prior to 2006 uh, cars had v10 engines there was a time when it was v12 also like all yeah, days that's what i it was the, the cars which ayrton senna and all those people have driven right uh, some lotus there was a car which had produced around 1450 uh, horsepower it was all big monsters, you know, with turbocharged and uh, engines and stuff. Turbochargers were banned in 1989 for safety reasons. Uh, so prior to 2006, till 2006, cars had V10 engines with 3 liter capacity, um, producing close to 1000 horsepower. And the top speed you was somewhere around 375 kilometers per hour. I think Montoya has an official record in Monza for driving at that speed. 370 or 350s? 375. 370, wow. Yeah. I mean, many people are... In, I think in one of the races, even uh, Bottas has crossed 378 kilometers per hour on a race. Yeah. But the official record uh, is for Bar Honda, which was a team long back. I think yeah, it I was there in the F1 game, which we used to play. Um, there is a place in... Uh, I think it's in Arizona. It's called uh, uh, Bonville Flats. If you have watched uh, one of the f- uh, Grand, not Grand Tour, what was it before? Top Gear Top episodes. Gear. <laughs> These guys drive three American cars and they go straight line uh, drag racing, uh-huh. right? There, this particular car reached around a uh, speed of, uh, I think it was 400, um, 413 kilometers per hour. So, Formula 1 cars are very fast. So, yeah, that's what, uh, so V10 engines before 2006 and uh, after 2006, FIA came with a rule that stated all cars must have a naturally aspirated engine, which means no turbochargers or no superchargers. It should just pull in air naturally from the, you know, air intake using no compressor and stuff. I think this entire engine, uh, you know, turbocharge, supercharge and all those things can be a topic for another episode where we can yeah. talk about more about combustion engines and stuff. Uh, right now, just need to understand that, you know, post-2006, it, uh, it was limited to V8 engines with 2.4 liters capacity down from 3. Okay. Right? And also... Normal cars like the one which I drive has around, you know, maximum RPM of 7,000 maybe. Um, normal driving, when I do, it's around 2.5 to 3,000 uh, 3, RPM is a normal state for it. But Formula 1 cars can have an RPM of up to 18,000. Uh, wow. And While idling, it has somewhere around 9,000. Yeah, eight to 9,000. Which wow. is more than what we have wow. if we floor our pedal and in two minutes the engine will blast. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Now, that was in 2006 and 2014, again, the rules were changed and engines were uh, reduced to V6 with 1.6 turbocharged. That is when there was a lot of, uh, you know, comments which came uh, saying that the Formula One car, the noise, the sound had completely disappeared, right? You remember before that, um, the cars had a screeching noise and people literally used to buy earplugs worth uh, $10 to prevent their ears from popping during a race. 
Yeah, the thing is, it actually sounded great when we when they had the screeching yes, noise. Yes, I. If you but ask now, me, <laughs> if you ask me, that is when the car felt like a Formula One car. Yeah. Now it is like more silent, and you know, it it feels like an electric car. See, well, uh, they are doing all this for like safety reasons because from V12 engines during 1970s and 80s, they come down to V10, V8, and V6 just because of safety reasons. So it's all for good. But the thing is, uh, it's actually a little bit of ruin the beauty <laughs> of the game. Yeah. Yeah, but then, uh, yeah, that's that's true. And again, um, so turbocharger was reintroduced. That is a good thing. And it was introduced um, because it kind of improved the fuel efficiency by around 29%. Wow. And uh, these cars today, they kind of consume close to 450 liters of air every second. 450 liters of air. Yep. (laughs) Great for the environment. (laughs) (laughs) It's air. (laughs) So, engine in the car is located between the driver and the rear axle and it forms an integral part of the structure of the car as well. It's a part of the chassis. So, uh, it goes through a lot of stress and all that stuff. That's why, you know, the engine is made very carefully and all that. Um, Yeah, as we spoke about engines, in 2004, the engines were required to last a race weekend. Earlier, there was no limit. So, for each race, you could have one engine. Now, um, you know, it was reduced to eight and now we have just three engines for the entire season. That means the engine has to have more reliability and it has to last. This was mainly done for cost-cutting reasons because F1 used to be a very, very expensive sport. And if you look at the fuel, uh, there was refueling earlier, if you remember the days when we used to watch. Now, the cars are not allowed to refuel. They are allowed to carry a set amount of fuel, which I think is 100 kilograms for a race. Uh, you just have to use the entire uh, fuel for the race, uh, complete the it, race. It becomes them. a lot more complex because you have to adjust the amount of fuel which is uh, taken by the engine throughout the race. Yes, yeah. It may, may just run out of fuel if you let it eat up the fuel. Yeah, so there it, are different modes in a present-day Formula 1 car where you have rich mix and we have a you know um, lean mix and all that where you can control the amount of fuel that goes into the engine. For a long straight where you can pick up a lot of st- uh, speed, you, you normally use a rich mix um, to go faster. Um, yeah, so all these uh, complexities have, uh, it actually forms a part of the, uh, you know, race as well, strategies and all that stuff. It's it's a part of the strategy to decide what kind of uh, fuel strategy to use and all that, which came in after they banned the use of refueling in between. Yeah, so people who generally don't like F1, they think that it's just a game of, you know, going around the hmm. Circuit, yeah, like for a hundred times. But the thing is, there is a lot of math to involved. Much more when these tire changes are all yeah. involved, where people try to come in pits earlier and change the tire to undercut and all that stuff and all that. And when rain falls, you change into wet tires and you don't know where, when to go to the slick tires and all that. So it, there is a lot of uh, strategies that go behind the scenes. That's what we are trying to, uh, you know, that's what I try to tell people when they say. Formula 1 is just, you know, going around the track multiple times. Yeah, even in the games, Formula 1 game, because I played, uh, like, the Formula uh, 1 2016 game. Uh, yeah, it has something called, like, safety car features are also there, mm-hmm. right? If some accident happens, safety car comes and you just have to follow them. So, if you already haven't taken a pit stop and someone else has already taken the pit stop, they'll get close to you. So, because they have new tires, they can easily overtake you. Exactly. And this refueling was one important part of it where, uh, you know, uh, it was interesting as well because the car, they they take such a short time, within three seconds or something, they'll just refuel your car. And the fuel injector had a cap- ability to inject around 12 liters of fuel in a second. Wow. The fuel which was which are, which is used in Formula One is very similar to the normal petrol that we use for road cars, which is m- maybe a little different kind of a mixture. And each fuel supplier has to supply, uh, you know, submit a sample to the FIA for testing at any time during the course of uh, a race. Uh, in case they find there is something that's not going uh, right, they can, you know, pre- they can disqualify disqualify the driver as well. Okay. Um, again, we uh, so that is all about the engines, and we come to the transmission part of the car. All the present Formula One cars are semi-automatic, uh, have semi-automatic gearbox with eight forward and one backward gear, which was not the case in the early days. Early days, it was manual transmission, uh, and I think it was six gears or something. So, if you look at early races in from eighties and early nineties, 
like sena the way he raced he had a gear lever on the side and he used to you know manually change and now the gear is changed by using paddle shift behind the uh, steering wheel uh, uh, carbon titanium is the material that is used to make the gearbox and it is connected behind the engine uh, of the car um clutch is controlled by electro hydraulics except when starting from uh, standstill so only when the car starts from zero speed is when drivers actually control the clutch afterwards it's all automatic um limitations exist on the number of gearbox now gearboxes on a season as well so current rule as per 2018 regulations is that a gearbox must complete six consecutive races before being replaced six consecutive yes. races so that is when you hear oh hamilton had uh, you know five uh, grid penalty because of a gearbox change and all that stuff and sometimes they get stuck in one gear and yeah. all those kind of stuff and imagine a crash way. happens during the practice if gearbox undergoes some kind of a fault then you go lose your place wow and and the brakes yep Uh, I've heard that it uh, heats up to how like thousand degrees or something. A brake uh, reaches up to the temperature of thousand degrees Celsius uh, while braking. It's made of carbon ceramic, um, and <laughs> it, it's a it's a crazy stuff. This brake of a Formula One because a Formula One car can accelerate from zero to one sixty and back to zero. in 4 seconds 4 seconds yeah <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so that's that's the awesome thing about the brake it has to work fine right yeah. i mean if brakes don't work uh, how safe can a formula 1 car be um again another important and uh, wonderful device that a formula 1 drivers uses the steering wheel because steering wheel is usually used to control every other aspect of the car including the gear and the fuel mixture and everything else um rev limiter and all that Even stuff. Even calling for a pit stop. <laughs> yeah. Data related to various parameters are displayed on the LCD screens so you can see the lap time and probably who is in front of you and all those kind of data. Uh it can be as complicated as they want. Uh it weighs around uh 1.3 kilograms. Uh hmm. It's funny because a clutch of a Formula 1 car weighs only 1 kilograms. Wow. <laughs> uh and uh, this this is the most astounding uh, thing about the steering wheel. It can cost anywhere around $50,000. Now if you have seen some races where uh, you know drivers crash out of the race they you can see them throwing the steering wheel out of the car. Yeah, so literally they are just yeah. throwing out $50,000 worth of a thing. <laughs> wow. You know and funny thing like if uh, if an F1 driver wants to get inside his car or like get out of the car he ha- has to remove the yes. steering wheel first that is a part of safety uh, thing also the f1 car has around uh, five say five independent safety belts uh, mechanism which keeps the driver very safe even in case of a you know 200 mile an hour ca- crash um, there have been a lot of fatality including alton senna where a crash has resulted in uh, death of a driver but Modern day cars are pretty much, you know, safe. very safe. Uh, the the crash that happened in 2014 of Jules Bianchi was unfortunate because it was not mainly due to a structural uh, damage of the car. It was because his head had uh, collided with the you know safety equipment which was on the Clean. near the barrier of the race. Someone had spun out uh, earlier in the race. Uh, I who was that? I don't remember. and this his car came next and he spun out in the same area and the uh, the crane which had come to pick up the earlier car he went and his head dashed against that crane and that's how he died yeah he didn't die immediately yeah, he was in a coma like for seven a long or eight months yep. probably a year uh, yeah uh, well so that's about the steering wheel and i want to talk a little bit about the tires Uh, there are different kind of tires which are used uh, they are classified according to the material is, that is used for crea- making those tires uh, they are like hyper soft ultra soft super soft soft medium hard super hard intermediate and wet tires the first uh, the up to the intermediate and wet they are uh, the the ones before that from hyper soft to super hard are used for dry conditions uh, soft tires like hyper soft and ultra soft and super soft they are all tires which provide great grip but they last for a you know lesser duration maybe like 5 laps or 10 laps or 12 laps the others the medium hard and super hard last for longer but they provide less grip so cars are usually faster when they are riding on super soft and hyper soft tires and especially these tires are used in situations where you need to set quick light lap times and all that stuff 
uh intermediate tires and wet tires are used uh, in wet conditions the intermediate is used for partially wet conditions where there is water on the road and wet tires are used in conditions where there's a lot of water on the road um probably when it's raining too yeah it's it's raining heavily and all that and these wet tires have an ability of removing around 250 liters of water a second when it goes over <laughs> the road so uh, that's where it is used yeah so uh, basically uh, the depending on the grip of the tire the speed of the car also increases yes it does because uh, more the grip you will be able to accelerate faster and you will set a faster lap time so yeah. uh, tire changes are also a big part of strategy when it comes to these races um some other systems are like aerodynamic systems uh, there are spoilers if you have seen that is a very prominent thing in formula 1 cars you can see these wings which are in the front and the back They're not the movie spoilers yeah which <laughs> which provide a lot of downforce and in fact they say that once the car crosses around 130 kilometers per hour it has a downforce that is equivalent to the weight of the car which means if there is a mechanism where you can make the car go on upside down on a tunnel right mm. it will not fall from the ceiling uh, when it is over 130 kilometers per hour wow, because it a- has the same force acting down on the car as wow. much as the weight is i think there is an ad based on that where michael schumacher does <laughs> the same but that's not thing, a yeah. is that a it's formula a, 1 car or is it a normal uh, I car i think it's a mercedes some other car yeah. not a, not a formula 1 and car. this the see one other reason uh, the engines and everything has to be so powerful is because the amount of aerodynamic drag that ac- acts on the car at these high speeds is so huge because aerodynamic drag force which acts on an object is directly proportional to the square of the velocity uh, the coefficient of drag drag coefficient uh, right and uh, the relative diameter or radius of the object it has a formula which i don't want to bore you guys with so since it's directly proportional to the square of the velocity any small change in velocity at higher speed requires a lot more force than it requires it is required in the lower speeds mm-hmm. and the coefficient of drag is different for different shapes for uh, a square it's around 1.57 i think and for a round shape it is around 0.47 so you have to make the car as aerodynamic as possible which is done in wind tunnels and all that stuff right so uh, the reason why i mention is the uh, it has so much of uh, aerodynamic drag on a car on a formula 1 car that the moment you let go of the throttle the car starts decelerating fast and it said that the force that acts on the car is equivalent to a sports car applying brake So oh, under braking wow. how fast the sports car slows down that is the speed at which a normal formula 1 car slows down when you just lift the leg of the uh, throttle so imagine like what happens when you lift your leg of the throttle and then press the brake to like the <laughs> yeah. amount of that's what they force. do in tight corners and yeah, yeah. the g forces that acts on a driver's uh, body is what results in the weight loss which i mentioned during the beginning of our yeah uh, i think it it's almost like uh, flying a plane yep and uh, i watched this interview where uh, louis hamilton talks about this weight loss thing so uh, like uh, at particular uh, tracks whether where, where it's too hot to like, like abu dhabi or yeah, uh, bahrain he, he said that he loses around like 11 pounds 9 to 11 4.5 to 5 yeah, kilograms that's, that's like something you know it can be an you know extreme weight loss of course. plan for the future <laughs> which is not that healthy as well and drivers are required to keep drinking water throughout not to black out because of the extreme weight loss that happens because you're losing all the bodily flu- fluids and stuff and in tracks like bahrain it's around 50 degrees celsius on the track and you don't have an air conditioner inside right so you'll be sweating profusely and all that yeah and they even do uh, exercise for their neck Yes so that they can uh, take on the G force. <laughs> yeah you know Juan Pablo Montoya who was one of the BMW ride drivers he yeah. said that he can do 300 repetitions with 23 kilograms or 25 kilograms on his neck. Oh my god but I think uh, David Kalthard would be the one who would do <laughs> oh, it. He has a big neck. His his neck is the same size of his face like seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yes yeah, so <laughs> so that's about aerodynamics and also modern uh, formula 1 cars have a system called curse kinetic energy recovery system where it where uh, whenever the brake is applied there's a lot of uh, you know energy that is dissipated in the form of heat and all that stuff right. This device, this system uses that energy uh, and stores it to around 80 to 160 hp and it can be used to boost the car uh, twice in a circuit so it will give you a speed boost of around 15 to 20 kilometers per hour that's so cool right it i think it can be a good case study for physics students yep 
yeah and and there is another thing called drs right yeah okay drs is called uh, it's drag reduction system so after two laps into a formula 1 race drs is enabled wherein if you are within one second of the car in front of you like if the time difference between you and the car in front of you is just one second less than one second you can activate the system where the spoilers open up and the drag on the car is reduced with a reduction in the downforce as well which will let you go faster by you know 10 to 15 kilometers which is extremely useful when it comes to overtaking the car in front of you so yeah that's a that's a modern system and you can use it only twice and you cannot use it use it when there's a mishap or something happens and there is a system called safety car right when something goes wrong on the track a uh, safety car comes and guides all the other cars through the circuit so you have to follow the safety car in the same grid position that you were on and you cannot overtake you can go to the pit but you have to uh stay in the same yeah, position go go in the straight line behind the safety car and there is a new thing called virtual safety car which i think came in the early 2010s like you know maybe 7 or 8 years back wherein without actually deploying a car you Same go into a virtual car. safety car where all the cars just have to follow the leader car okay yeah and drs i think uh, every track has a particular place where yes. you can yes there is a lo- there is uh, a set location between which you can it's usually on the straights uh, and the first like person who is in front cannot use it that's of the worst because, part right because there is no one in front of you <laughs> yeah that that's so messed up <laughs> but then if it is lewis hamilton on someone else you're never going to see him again yeah, so <laughs> yeah so that pretty much rounds up many things about formula 1 car the construction the engine and all the other in- interesting things i would just like to uh, you know end this episode with some interesting facts about formula 1 uh, cars and stuff um so i meant as i mentioned earlier a car can cost anywhere between 6 to 8 millions uh, research that goes into will cost you anywhere around uh, uh, 100 millions some small manufacturers like minardi which used to exist a long time back which doesn't exist anymore they used to spend around 50 million dollars uh into the research um uh, a single car has around i think 80000 parts what 80000 parts uh, including sensors and all those things and the, see the, the the interesting thing is that with all those number of parts everything should be 100% go right even yeah. if you say oh my car is 99% ready that means 800 parts are yeah, not working yeah. right So that is the amount of precision that is I required. I think that's where the 99.9 person comes into uh, play. Even the, even 99.9% won't help because 80. 80 parts won't be working. 99.99 means 8 parts. 8 parts. Okay, that's still okay. What if one of the parts is break? You don't know. What if so yeah, so yeah, that's what it is and I as I mentioned engine normally lasts only for few races, um, you know. tire lasts uh, anywhere around 90 to 120 kilometers normal cars it lasts for like 20000 to 30000 kilometers um formula 1 car can accelerate from 0 to 160 kilometers and back to 0 in less than 4 seconds uh, and the lateral g that is felt the g forces that is felt on a formula 1 driver can be anywhere from 4 to 5 g and uh, in tight corners and i think in uh, one of the circuits there is such a tight corner where they feel close to 9 g's that is flying a th- fighter plane i think it's in sochi or somewhere where you have oh. a curve uh, and you can actually carry speed into that curve and you will really feel the oh it's a know. fast corner where you can yes. go at full speed um rough yeah, one more thing like uh, you told us about the monaco track where you know it's a very tight place where you can't travel that fast last week was monaco grand prix right yes. and i saw like those guys hitting a speed of 270 280 yeah when i say slow yeah. <laughs> i don't mean That's that what. the cars go at 120 kilometers per hour when i say slow they go they go pretty fast they don't cross yeah. 300 that would be the benchmark they cross 300 also yeah, yeah. but uh, you know not as much as uh, some other circuits like monza which is mostly a straight circuit and hockenheim which has a lot of straights hockenheim and stuff hockenheim is my favorite yeah so monaco is pretty much a uh, slower track and it's one of the most challenging and uh, all the drivers love the track as well it is one of the few few street circuits which are actual roads which are converted to uh, circuits during the race um continuing with the facts uh, each race means around 2600 to 3000 gear shift per driver <laughs> monaco has the most number of shift 3000 is for monaco because oh, there are a lot of turns yeah, and yeah. stuff right uh, 1200 liters of fuel is used per race weekend a car has an efficiency of around uh, 70 liters for every 100 kilometers 
So for traveling 100 kilometers, you need 70, 70 liters of fuel. Liters. And around 70 liters of engine oil is also used in the process for a race. Um, brake discs, as I mentioned earlier, reach a temperature of 1000 degrees Celsius with exhaust pipes reaching 900 degrees Celsius and tires around 130 degrees Celsius. So these are the things about cars. And you would have seen once the race is done, they do this champagne tradition, right? Where uh, drivers uh, take the champagne and they... You know, spray it, spray it all it. around uh, <laughs> the people and spectators and all that. This started in 1950 during the first race when local fans presented uh, Fangio with a bottle of champagne. But the tradition of spraying it out did not start until 1966 when Joe Sifret in 24 hours of Le Mans uh, opened the bottle of champagne, which was not sufficiently cool. So by accident, it started Spoon. coming out and that kind of became a tradition. Uh, it's still followed, except in Bahrain, where the champagne is replaced with um, sparkling fruit juice. Oh, I thought lime soda. Yeah, it, it's fruit <laughs> juice. <laughs> yeah, there is one more other tradition, new one, right? <laughs> yeah, but started by our uh, beloved <laughs> Daniel, Daniel Ricardo. <laughs> so whenever he wins a race, uh, while the champagne is open, he drinks it in his shoes and also makes others drink from it. It's disgusting, but it's fun to watch others do it. <laughs> yeah, if you really think about it, it should not be because his feet or his sweat is never touching the shoe because but of all the fire and safety stuff that he'll be wearing. But right? still, it's a shoe. It's a shoe, man. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, that those are some interesting stuff about Formula 1 season. Uh, I hope you found this interesting. And next time you watch a Formula 1 race, don't just say that you're just watching some cars go round and round. There is a lot of science and effort that goes into this. Appreciate that fact. And, yeah, that pretty much rounds up this episode for us. Yeah, okay. I'd like to end it in a note that, you know, if you're an environmentalist, and who loves you know nature and all that please don't <laughs> please don't <laughs> listen to this we actually should put a disclaimer in the beginning probably <laughs> well human beings need entertainment yeah. i mean we are all living for a purpose and entertainment forms a one big part of it and um there are a lot of people who get employed also yeah. uh, each team has many number of mechanics and all those people where are these people gonna go if these things don't exist so yeah and again as i said um, even formula one races they contribute to the betterment of normal road cars so many systems that have come like anti-lock brakes and all those things which are in in existing road cars as, to, as of today was once a thing which existed only in these kind of racing cars so anything important that comes up there is being used and especially the curse system which is also coming in some of the heavy, you know hyper cars these days so it's all good i mean even though it is uh you know race and a lot of money is involved something good is coming out of it so i would like to end it in that note well everything has an advantage and disadvantage <laughs>